I, I heard a, a song this morning that I love. It I think it's United Pursuit who does it. Um, it says something like, "I will rejoice in the simple gospel." I will just rejoice in the, in the simple gospel. It just begins to repeat this um, this verse and these words that I think are, are are hugely important to who we are as Christians. Uh, when we look at the first century church and we see what they were capable of doing with a simple gospel and the experience that they had with Jesus, they turned the world upside down. Or like some people like to say, right side up. Um, and I think sometimes as we progress as a culture and as a world and our information is just so readily available, I think we can very easily complicate the gospel. Um, I, I've sat uh, in seminary with professors who I absolutely believe are not helping things. <laughs> um, and I, I believe that education is important. I believe it can broaden our horizons and understanding the depths and, and be able to take apart things and put them back together. But I, I don't necessarily believe that Scripture was meant to be scrutinized. I think it was uh, meant to be breathed over us, and we were meant to respond in obedience to it. Um, so um, if you are, are, are a seminary student, I know there's a lot of uh, maybe Moody alum in here. Um, that, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, I think it, 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 if, it, if it doesn't enrich us and, and push us to deeper levels in Jesus, I think uh, we need to look back at what that looks like. Um, we, um, we're on a journey in our church, uh, kind of same journey that you're on in, in, in our context. And what that means for us is, is how are we um, shaping our ecclesiology to be readily available to the lost that we are exposed to as a church. And I think so many times when I say church, you and I automatically think of this gathering. We think of a Sunday morning gathering. We think, how are we ready to, to catch the loss? And I think um, that that's part of what we do. But I think the bigger thing that God has asked us to do was reach the loss, to actually go out and position ourselves in a place to be fisher of men, right? That's what Jesus has asked us to be. Um, Charles Spurgeon said something. I'm not necessarily a Spurgeon guy, but just hear this. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And, and I think that's a pretty, pretty harsh statement, but I think it's a pretty accurate statement. Because anybody who has had an encounter with Jesus is never the same. When, when we look at, at, at the first um, century church and the people who well, not first century church, it, the people who walked with Jesus on the earth, when Jesus, they had an encounter with Jesus, they were never the same. Whether they rejected the gospel or whatever, they were never the same. And we, we get rejection today. But we, we know that when a true authentic encounter happens with Jesus, that people's lives change forever. Um, and really, that's what we're wanting to see. We're wanting to see genuine, authentic transformation uh, by an encounter with Jesus. And so really, what we're taking to the world should be Jesus. Um, and, and a lot of what we bring to the table is based on our uh, our experience. You know, I um, I'm a kid who grew up with uh, drug addicted parents. My my mom was um, strung out for many years. We were on the streets. We were homeless. We um, lived from family to family. Eventually, um, my mom was fully on the streets with my brother and sister, and sleeping underneath freeways and doing things like that. And so. That experience has affected me in the way that I want to present the gospel to the world. Now, because that's the way I've experienced Jesus. Now, how, how I mean, that's my life experience. How you, well, your life experience will give you leanings on, on, on how you want to, you know, deliver this gospel to the world and the people groups that you want to deliver this gospel to the world. But the truths for me are still exactly the same. Because ultimately, we have to understand that there's lost and they're saved. There's people who are desperate for Jesus who don't know him, and there are people who do know him. And so there are people who are thirsty for Jesus and people who have already been satisfied for, by Jesus. And I was talking with Ken just a little bit before this, and I, I want to um, speak a bit about this um, because I think that there is a higher value in God's economy on the lost. 
Um, and I think sometimes when we uh, get into our our comfortable Christian living, uh, our comfortable comfortable church life, uh, we actually um, can not value what Jesus valued and not value what heaven values um, as, as, as much as we should. Um, I hope you're kind of following along with me. Um, so I, I want to talk, for, well, I want to talk about a whole lot. So we got two hours. Um, when, when James was praying, he said something, let us just pray for two and a half hours. That, and I was just like, we're going to pray for two and a half hours? <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah. So let's just do this. You guys close your eyes, and I'm just, I'm just going to pray this, this over you. Just So, dear Lord. The disciples of John came to him, and I, I like when I hear that. I like when people pray, and, and you hear them preach at God. Yeah. Say, Lord, your word says. And he's like, yeah, I think God knows what his word says. <laughs> like, I, I get what we're saying. We're, we're proclaiming his promises and his truths. But, yeah, I think we don't have to remind God what his word says. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. I uh, just want to just kind of lay some, you know, framework to, you know, as, as, as someone who's been asked to come to in part, I'm, I'm not here to, to lay doctrinal foundations in the life of this church. That's the job of this eldership team that, that serves over this church. Uh, I, I'm here to strengthen and encourage you for the works of service. That's what I believe my role that God has asked me to do as someone who ministers translocal is I, I, I'm able to come and encourage you to continue in the works that you're already doing or to continue to get activated in the works that God has been beckoning you to, to be activated in. And so I'm not here to lay down foundations uh, of doctrine for you because that's done by your eldership here. And, and I hope that you guys um, are, are finding yourself in alignment with what this church believes and what this church is, is seeking uh, to become for Jesus because that's really why we have local congregations. That's why we have local expressions of church because I, we're not going to agree on everything. Not everyone in my church agrees with everything I do. Not everyone on my team agrees with what I, what I you know, think or whatever. Um, but we believe um, together in the heaven and hell issues. And that's so important, is that we understand that there are people who are desperate for the gospel. We understand that there are people who are desperate for Jesus. And it is our purpose in East L.A. Uh, to bring Jesus to the world around us. And um, so I just wanted to just kind of lay that for you. And so if you have any uh, doctrinal things, please don't take it up with Steve. Um, this is me. And this eldership uh, will correct anything if it's not in alignment with what this church believes, um, because that's their role as laying discipline, doctrine, and direction in the life of this church. So anyways, here we go. So the, uh, Matthew 9. So the disciples of John came to him asking, uh, why do we, the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, uh, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them, can they? But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the worst tears, uh, worst tear, and a worst tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins; otherwise, the wineskin bursts, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they, uh, but the new wine gets put into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Um. I believe that Jesus provoked an argument here today in, in this portion of Scripture with the Pharisees that I think is valid today. And there's this, this thing of, of religion versus Jesus. This thing of, of, of being in a religious mindset and being in a mindset of, of we want to be Jesus followers who follow the commands of Jesus, who love Jesus, have an authentic relationship with Jesus. The, the disciples of John um, could choose the status quo and continue the religious pattern of the Pharisees, or they could choose Jesus. And I think sometimes when we're wrestling with this, with this thing of, of getting out the gospel in the world around us, I think this is the thing that smacks us in the face first. 
Um, uh, we, when we come to know Jesus, there's this, this thing that trans, begins to transform us and we begin to uh, be sanctified by him and we begin to get uh, you know, excited about the things that he's about. And then we begin to promote that in the world around us. But I think far too often as we settle into those things, we begin to be less activated in the areas of giving the gospel and being the light in the world around us. And we can very easily promote it in a way that we are selling something, but is it our life's song? Is it really what we are truly about, or is it something that we're, we're really just about? It's just like social justice thing versus true gospel. Right. Because I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that social justice without the gospel is no justice at all, because if, it, if it's not Jesus centered, really, what are we offering the world? So we can we can position ourselves religiously in a way that we are here to help the world. And I come from a background of, of brethren. I don't know if you know anything about the brethren movement. Um, Anabaptist pietists um, who are, are tr- truly just entrenched in social justice. And, and the background that I come from is watching a denomination begin to solely focus on social justice in a way that the gospel has become secondary to helping people in the world. Now, I can understand the ide- ideology that, well, isn't helping someone being Jesus? And I, I can agree to a, a, a point that I can feed someone in the name of Jesus without, if they don't accept Jesus or not, is, is, is not my question of whether, you know, I'm, I'm going to feed them or not. We, we live right next to our church building, on our, like on a small little campus. And so people come to our door all the time for food, and we're happy to feed them. It's never an issue for me. But at the end of the day, I'm not in the charity business. I'm in the changing life business because that's what Jesus does. And so I, I feed people and I sit with them and I love them and I pray with them and I walk them through things. And we've had guys coming to the door for years, right? But at the end of the day, I'm not in the sandwich making business. I'm in the changing lives business. And so I, I spoke with this man just even recently and he came to the door and he's like, oh, and I'm like, Robert, how long have we been doing this, man? You know, and, and this guy's a guy that, unfortunately, I've known from the past, from when I was a young man, and here we are, men, and he's still in, the, in a worse state. And I said, the next time you come to my door, please, please, and this, I don't know how this feels to you, but please let it be because you want to change. Because if it's not because you want to change, then what, what's a sandwich going to do for you, bro? Like, really, what, it, what is... What is another sandwich going to do for you. And that, I know that sounds harsh, and, and, and trust me, it, it hurts my heart because I've had a mother who slept under a freeway for years, and I've I seen her dwindle down to 90 pounds. And I work with an organization that works on Skid Row. I, I'm part of a, a, a board of directors for L.A. Christian Health Centers. I position myself in a place in my life not my church's life. I don't make the church people. This is something that I do because it's, it's something that's inside of my heart. And so I work with people on Skid Row, and I, and, and I do these kind of things because it's my passion. But at the end of the day, I'm not there to put Band-Aids on their wounds. I'm there to offer Jesus and offer Jesus in a real way, and I'm getting way ahead of myself. But just listen to this. The disciples could not choose, had to choose either status quo or go to the way of the Pharisees, Right? So Jesus was making it clear that they couldn't just add a patch of Jesus to their religious pattern and expect it to hold up. So it couldn't, they couldn't keep their, their, old, their old tapestry and just add a patch of Jesus and think that this thing was going to hold up, right? And the same with the wineskin. They couldn't expect to be effective in bringing life to the world if the wineskin carrying Jesus was an old vessel. And so there actually has to be a transformation in who we are and why we're actually doing the things that we do, why we're actually carrying Jesus to the world, right? Dudley Daniel wrote this about the wineskin. He wrote, the main purpose of the wineskin is to get wine to the lips and lives of the thirsty. 
And so we, as individuals, we have a wineskin. We, we have this vessel that carries Jesus to the world. But I also believe that churches have corporate wineskins. And, and I think, unfortunately, what happens is we as individuals are more concerned with the corporate wineskin than we are with the individual wineskin. So what, we're, what we want is we want to see the church establish a program that we can all participate on and feel good about ourselves, but at the end of the day, not really carry the responsibility of that wineskin. You hearing me? And so I really want us to look at this individual wineskin that sometimes begins to fuse with other individual wineskins and can eventually become a corporate wineskin. But we really need to look at what the corporate wineskin, I mean, individual wineskin looks like. So I believe we have both of those. Um, but we need to be evaluated to ensure uh, that each and each need to be evaluated to ensure their ability to carry Jesus to the lips and lives of the thirsty. Um, and so we've been on a journey to do that in our church. I mean, we we have such passion for our city, such passion for our community. We've started so many things as a really small church. I mean, we we held Sunday school. I mean, summer school for kids in our community. Um, so. We, we, we've just recently um, ceased that ministry, um, but uh, they had stopped um, summer school in our community, which is detrimental to our kids because most of them are English as second language. Uh, what's that? And so budget cuts happen in L.A. Unified, which is obviously you guys can hear national reports about the L.A. Unified School District. Um, so budget cuts stopped um, summer school for these kids. And so what happens is these kids go home. They only speak Spanish. And so when they get back to school in September or August, they've regressed because they haven't been speaking English. They haven't been practicing language. Uh, and it's really detrimental to their education. And so we thought, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we held Sunday school for them? So we did for five years. Uh, yeah, summer school. Um, and so we called it Accelerate, and we basically made it a, a Jesus-centered summer school. So we did math with them, and we did English with them. Um, and it was awesome, and we've seen so many seeds planted, and we've seen so many kids give their life to Jesus, and it, it was a beautiful thing. Um, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the corporate wineskin that we were carrying began to bust. And the reason why it began to bust is because the individuals within that wineskin actually stopped carrying the load. And so the, the hands that were holding on to this corporate wineskin that began to, um, you know, was, we were, who were carrying this water to um, thirsty lips, it began to bust. And so it eventually burst. And really our effectiveness in what we were doing just wasn't there any longer. And so we, we had to get off that horse. Um, and I think sometimes we have to, have to be sober-minded about those things, that there's some things that we do that are just seasonal. And, and, and because one person might be extremely passionate about it and there's a, there's a, you know, that person's a key person in the church and we don't want to lose them and we don't want to offend them, we have to understand that we cannot be subject um, to that amount of pressure um, when it, it was a major task. I mean, we, we were talking 120 kids in this small building. If any Adam's been there, Steve's been there. I mean, 120 kids, you know, doing summer school, and we were just getting burnt out, and it was no longer being effective to what God has, had asked us to do. Um, so anyway, that, that's just one experience that we experienced with this thing. Um, but let's, let's, let's just under, get some, some biblical framework of this. In Acts 15, 17 through 18, uh, we read... Um, Afterward, I will return, listen to this, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Say restore. Um, Verse 17 says, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. So we have to understand that Jesus and God have been about the restoration or, or about the restoration business. It is their heart to restore everything that has been stolen. It is their heart to restore right relationship with themselves. It is their heart to rebuild all that has been stripped away and broken. Um, And because of that, we have to look at everything that we do, not only corporately, but individually, and say, are we 
in standing with that? Are we in standing with that heart of God of, of, of restoring um, this thing that he says here so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles? And so that means that everything that I want to be for the Lord and bringing this gospel to the world around me has to be because the, for the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. And the way I interpret Gentiles is including the outsiders, including those outside the church, because obviously this is a, a, an, an old co- covenant ideology of understanding. There's Jews and there's Gentiles, and obviously we read about them in, in the New Testament. But there was outsiders and insiders. There was, there was the established people of God, which is today the church, and those who weren't with inside that establishment. And so we have to understand that it's God's heart of restoration to restore all those who are outside the establishment and bring them into this family that God has brought us into. And then it says this, the Lord has spoken. I mean, this is just definitive speaking from the Lord, right? The Lord has spoken. Um, And I believe that this mission is going to be accomplished through his church. That this this is how he's chosen to do it. He has chosen to do it through his church, right? The early church wrestled with how they would include the non-Jew or the Gentile convert. We, we, we read that in scripture. Like, how do we in, start to include other people outside of our people group? And I think that is a question that we have to begin to evaluate as well. Um, not, not only as far as culturally, you know, I, I think those are things that we have to wrestle with as churches who are in cities, you know, so some, you know, rural churches, you know, they don't got to worry about that stuff. They can be, you know, all white or I minister in Mexico. I mean, those churches are all Mexican. They don't have to worry about, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to reach like the white guys? You know, like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not wrestling with that thing right now. You know, um, I think they could at some point. And I think, you know, if, if God's calling them to the nations, they need to think about those things as well. And we have guys on our team now in Mexico that we are absolutely encouraging. Hey, you guys need to come and start bringing some, some salsa fuego to the churches in the, in the, um, to the churches in the states. So anyway, so the church, um, the early church wrestled with this, right? Um, and ultimately, God spoke prophetically through a corporate gathering, which ultimately uh, created a pathway of salvation uh, to the world around them. And so we, we read that when um, they're, they're struggling with, like, what do we do with these, with these Gentile converts, right? You know, what, what do we do with them? I mean, we've got to make them get, get, get circumcised, right? I mean, I mean we've got to make them jump through hoops, and we've got to make them be like us, right? We have to do these kind of things. And ultimately, we know that through um, the, the, the corporate gathering, that through the Holy Spirit, they realize, hey, no, we don't have to make them jump through hoops to be a part of who we are today, that they can be full-fledged members of this family and this household. And it doesn't matter what their background was because the gospel is a great equalizer. Um, and so I think that we actually have to begin to get there. And I believe that we need to find that prophetic corporate voice again. And, and, and the understanding that that prophetic corporate voice isn't we all get a vote, Right? And I think ultimately that's what most of us think when we think, well, don't we all get a say in this thing? Um, and, and, yeah, we all do get a say in this thing as it pertains to our life's work, right? But the, the, how things are played out in individual churches and those kind of things, I think we put so much weight on eldership teams. And, and, and I, I've, I know this as being a, a, a pastor's kid eventually, is I, I see the pressure a church can put on a pastor and, and the mandates that get put on his life that are never put on the rest of the believers. Um, and I've seen this being underneath an eldership team and watching what they have to go through and just being, you know, in my heart saying, gosh, I'm glad I'm never going to do that, right? Um, and ultimately, God has a great sense of humor. Um, but this Acts passage is actually taken... Um, from something the Lord had said hundreds of years before in Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. And this is just ultimately God's heart and plan to repair. Can you say repair? To rebuild, to raise up, and then to reap. 
ultimately to reap. There's there's fruit from this labor that you and I are a part of. That this isn't, we're not just doing these things in vain. We're, We're not just meeting here today, and you're not just meeting, you know, weekly and annually, year after year, just for the sake of gathering, that our, our, our meeting times are scriptural and our meeting times are intentional. And it was God's plan to get us equipped to do the things that he's asked us to do in our lives. And so many times I think we just really settle into this, you know, like, oh, I'm here. I'm encouraged. I felt good. And, you know, I can get through the week now. And your tank has not been filled on a Sunday morning so that you can drive in circles and listen to the coast. I mean, I don't know what stations are out here. Sorry. The, the, coast, the coast is like, you know, one of those melodic stations that, you know, just plays, you know, just stuff that's nice. Um, right? You, you, you're, 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 your tank has been fooled so that you can be on mission for the rest of the week um, and for the next season that God has for you. Um, so then there's this, uh, there's this next, uh, uh, there's this parable that we read in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Um, and it says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Now, I don't feel that over this church at all. But I, 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 I as I look from, from the outside in at church in the city, uh, in, in, in my heart, I don't know the nuances. I, I, I can hear the meat and potatoes um, through uh, Stephen Debs and this eldership team and, and just see all the wonderful things that are taking place. I'm watching churches being planted. I'm hearing about activation of saints and, 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 and uh, small gatherings of guys doing things like ministering to businesses in the city. And I mean, just all these cool things that I'm hearing. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, from East L.A. and I'm just like, wow. This is awesome stuff. Like, this is stuff I want to be doing. These are things that, you know, we, we uh, want to participate in. And so I, 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 don't, I don't feel this at all in any way, shape, or form over this church. But I, I, I want to bring this to you in a way that I want you to see that very easily we can slip into religious mode and just think like, hey, we, we're part of a good church and good things are happening. But I, I, I want every one of you to have a rev- revelation that, just because church in the city is doing something doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something. So I, I'm, I, we're in our church, and I'm telling you, we've taken on huge, huge programs, right? I mean, we did the summer school thing, and we're, we're, our church is not large at all. Um, you know, we have a, a morning gathering of just over 100. Um, and so... We, we're, we're, I just lost all of you right now. Um, what is he doing up there? Um, so, so we're, we're, but I mean, we've taken on large things, but because we're passionate about kids as a church and about education in our city, doesn't necessarily mean everyone is because we really only had about 20 volunteers working that program. So 20% of our church is about reach the kids when you know you can very easily say oh yeah my church yeah we do this program for the kids and yeah oh man we go out to skid row and man we do a foot washing on skid row before thanksgiving and easter we go and minister to them and pray for them and and i want to be like what's this we stuff like you got a mouse in your pocket like like i know i was there and and so i i just i I'm, 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 I know I'm, listen, but listen, just, it, we have to understand that you're not going to be able to be a part of everything that church in the city is, is doing, right? There, you know, church is being planted and, and, you know, business uh, ministries popping up and all those different things. But you have to find the purpose that God has given you and be activated in the space that God has given you. We've all been given these sphere of influences, and we even see it with, with the early apostles. I mean, each of them was given a sphere of influence, and they owned it, and the gospel spread. I mean, yeah, we can very easily see, like, wow, well, you know, Paul did, like, maybe 10 times more than the other 12. You know, this is, I mean, we just look at things like that. But listen, that's, it's not for us to measure. It, what I'm doing and what you're doing is what God has called us to do, and we 
as, 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 a, as a pastor and as someone who's coming to encourage, I, I, I just want to see believers activated into and released into the things that God has given them passions for. And, and if we can do that, I'm telling you, we'll, be, we'll, we'll begin to see the things that we are dreaming about as the Lord's church. We'll begin to um, um, see the things of cities being impacted and cultures being changed uh, if we begin to own our own space um, in our cities. Um, so it says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Um, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, prayed this prayer. I, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So if you ever want to find tithing in the New Testament, there it is. Um, Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think there just really has to be a shift in how we, a church, view the world around us. Um, Vanessa and I had an experience just today, um, this morning, as we uh, left our hotel. There was uh, two young men um, standing at a window, gazing outside at the city, and uh, they were pretty romantically um, involved in what they were doing. Um, and as a Christian, we can very easily feel that oof, kind of feeling, um, which we did. And then I stepped into the elevator, and I just had a God feeling. Was, Those guys are desperate for Jesus. They're absolutely desperate for Jesus. And I think when we um, begin to not see that in the world around us with all the people groups, with all the cultural groups, with all the sin groups, especially the ones that you're uncomfortable with, those ones especially. When we begin to see that in a way that God sees it, then we're going to see true lasting effect begin to change the culture around us because I think how we do church actually needs to begin to shift. And again, I'm not here to lay in anything for a church in the city, but this is a, a, this, this series we just came out of in our church, and it's this understanding of what God values the most. And I think sometimes we can really begin to, to, to see it as us and them. We can very get comfortable with who we are and our lives, and we, we're doing the mundane, and we're working, and we're raising the kids, and I don't have time for ministry, and I don't have time for the people around us. But when we look at that Great Commission, I, I love when, when, when you and I, we can very easily excuse ourselves from the go, right? Go and make disciples, right? Or go and preach the gospel to all mankind, those kind of things. And I love what Russ Doty said in, in his understanding of that scripture. When you break apart those words, it's not actually like you have to go to a specific destination. It's more like while you were on your way, make disciples. And while you are on your way, preach the gospel. And I think so many times we think missions, even when I said that, that, that early uh, statement from Spurgeon, you know, that either every Christian is a missionary or an imposter, we think missions and the way we've taken it is I got to go to a different country that's impoverished and I got to make a difference over there. And absolutely, we need to do that. But in my city, we have hundreds of thousands of hungry people who are desperate for not just food, but Jesus. You know, and in your city, the same thing here. The, 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 the things that are taking place in this city, I mean, that alone would consume this church for decades. So how do we do that? Is it going to happen with a program once a month, once every three months? Or is it going to happen when there's 300 individuals while they are on their way making a difference? Collectively, this 
individual, individual wineskins taking life-giving water, taking Jesus to thirsty lips? Or is it going to continue to be, hey, guys, we have a well here on Sunday morning. You guys need to come and get some. See, I believe that is part of what we're called to do. But more of what we see from Scripture is we come and fill our wineskins with that well, and then we take it out to thirsty lips. And that's how we get revival. That's how we see revolutions in cities, right? So Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 9 through 13, um, we see another thing with Jesus um, and another tax collector. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple, uh, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and the other disreputable sinners. Say disreputable. That's a, that's a fun word. Disreputable. Um, so here's... Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, and he meets a tax collector who is despised not only by his own people but everyone else uh, because of this job that he has to tax people, and they were known as swindlers, right? And this guy, he goes in now eating with this guy with other disreputable sinners, okay? This is Jesus. This is one of the biggest beefs the religious had with Jesus while he walked on the earth is that he actually spent heaps of time, tons of time, a uh, load of time with people who religious people necessarily didn't believe he should be spending his time with. And so I think that this actually has to do something um, to how we view how we're spending our time and who we're spending our time with, right? Later, Matthew, or I already read that part, sorry. Um, Verse 11, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And I know I'm reading the New Living Translation, but I think it just puts it in plain language of how we feel. Like, all right, why is Steve hanging around with, like, street people and not with us? I mean, I go to his church. Like, I tithe. Like, I pay his salary. Like, why isn't he spending time with me? Right? Why is he spending time with these guys? Or, you know, why, why is it that, you know, there's, there's more time being spent here? And I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm provoking something with you. Uh, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people do not need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Right? Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That that's who he's come to call. Not those who think they're righteous, but those who think they're sinners. Now, there's two ways to view this thing, right? You could be sitting here and thinking, yeah, like, why don't we do that as a church? Like, that's crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know why we're not doing all this stuff as a church. Like, that's right. Like, we all need to be hanging out with sinners and all this kind of stuff. Or we could be thinking, geez, what could I be doing? What, what, what is my role to play in what I just read in that portion of Scripture? Jesus speaking to the religious and saying that I've come to call the sinners. What's my part to play in that? Do you guys see the, the difference in how we approach what this looks like for wineskins of of individuals or wineskins of, of this corporate thing that God has called us to be. Because I think so many times we, we dismiss these passages as, well, what is my church doing? And it's not like, God, what, is, what have you called me to do? How, how have you asked me to carry this life-giving water to thirsty lips? Right? Philip Yancey, uh, he wrote this in The Jesus I Never Knew. Um, in short, Jesus moved the emphasis from God's holiness exclusive to God's mercy, inclusive, right? Instead of the message, no undesirables allowed, Jesus proclaimed in God's kingdom, there are no undesirables. Are you hearing me? Say that with me. There's no undesirables. So by going out of his way to meet with Gentiles, eat with sinners and touch the sick, he extended the realm of God's mercy. 
And that's really heaven invading earth. That's really saying all are welcome to the table. That there are no undesirables. You all get to come. And what better way for church in the city to reach a city of undesirables than to each one of us who are carrying wineskins of life-giving water to invite someone to the table. But when we say, well, why doesn't, you know, why don't we have, we is, is you. We is me. So, the, yeah, why don't we? In Romans, uh, we, we see the apostles encourage and um, Uh, let's just read um, Romans chapter one, verse seven says uh, to all her, who are. Um, wait, wait, wait. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, Romans chapter one, verse seven says to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, get, we, we read these um, these headings. In, in the epistles of Paul speaking to the churches. And I, and I know probably uh, most of the guys who come uh, will reference a lot of these, these epistles in seeing that the structure of the church is to the priesthood and then to the leaders and then to the elders, right? And us understanding that there is a responsibility, a weight that is put on the believers. There's a weight that's put on the saints. There's a weight that's put on the priesthood that, that, the, the, the people who have been given uh, an authority of position, right, a role to play within the life of a church, that is a role to be played, given by God. A bit, if you were here last night, understanding roles, it's a role that's been defined by God. And elders need to play that role because God has asked them to. But it doesn't excuse the priesthood and the saints, and so many times I think the weight gets shifted. And, and, and what you know, denominationalism has done is, is they put, okay, well, yeah, the, the elders are here to serve us. And so they turn that triangle upside down. I, don't, I can't do it because I have a, um, right? They turn that triangle upside down, and the weight of the congregation is weighing on the shoulders of, 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 of the eldership team. And that's not the way that God designed it. Or it's the other way, you know, where you know, the, it's like this, and, and then, you know, the oppression of the elders or, or, the, or, the, or the senior pastor is weighing down on the congregation. And that's, that's not what we see in Scripture. You know, we see that thing actually flipped on its side, and we're all on an equal playing field, and we're headed in the same direction. But leaders, like leaders do, face things before the rest of the, the saints do. They're the first ones to get hit. They're the first ones to take the arrows. They're the ones who are protecting that wedge from, from um, the, the, the assaults of the enemy and from the, you know, the, the toils of life and the trials and all those kind of things. That, that's what elders do. But listen, when we see the scriptural writings from the apostles' uh, encouragements to charging the churches, right? He's saying to all who are beloved in God in Rome, called the saints. This letter to Rome and all that follows was to them. You hearing me? 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God, which is in Corinth. He's talking to the church. Say, I am the church. We're the church. We love that concept until responsibility kicks in. I am the church. It's part of my responsibility. This is part of what God has given to me. I am the church. 2 Corinthians, same thing. To the church of God, which is in Corinth with all the saints. With all the saints, right? It's like, all right, to the elders, this is especially for you. Deacons, you can kind of pay attention to what I'm about to say. For the rest of you, this is all optional. It's not what it says. It's to the church and all the saints and the deacons and elders. Are you with me? Galatians 1, uh, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him up from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the church of Galatia. And then everything that follows is to the church of Galatia, right? Ephesians is the same thing, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And so these things have to impact us all in a way that we all take this to heart and say, okay, Lord, what is my part to play in this thing? It goes on. Like Philippians, go read it. Philippians 1.1, it'll say, to all the saints 
Colossians to all the faithful brethren, Thessalonians to the church of Thessalonica. I mean, it's just the same thing throughout every epistle because the corporate prophetic voice is the strongest voice within the church. It is. The song that church in the city sings together is the strongest voice. Right? And so it, it, Steve and the elders can be saying, come on, and they could just be pulling the whole thing. But I'm telling you, that, that voice is going to be drowned if it's left to a handful of men and women who are pulling this thing. Your corporate voice is the strongest voice that you will ever have. And so there's this understanding of, 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 of getting to a place when we're wanting to reach the city around us, that there's this corporate thing. And in this corporate thing, we have to learn this dif- the difference uh, or the understanding of being inclusive inclusive versus exclusive. And I think in, in theory, we're like, well, of course we're inclusive. Look at us. And you guys are a beautiful church. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you haven't, you know, traveled around, I mean, maybe you have, and seen what churches look like. You know, most churches become monocolor, right? I mean, it's just like, I mean, we, in L.A., we have it. You know, it's like, you know, they name their church after something that they want to see in there. You know, the, the Armenian church of anything. It's like, so Mexicans can't come? I mean, is that, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? It, and, and, and so on and so forth, whatever. And then, you know, people groups gather together because that's what we're used to. We're tribal. I don't know if you know how blessed you are as a church to look as eclectic as you are. And this is, that's a beautiful thing. But this isn't just about skin color. And it's not just about culture. Because ultimately, every color of skin in every culture needs to bow its knee to kingdom culture. And when we're thinking about eternity, color of skin in culture, in its context, it matters to the individual. But as far as we're concerned, there's only two people groups. Saved and unsaved. And how we look at those two people groups really is going to shape on how we do things as a church. And not how we do things as church in the city. It's how you do things in your life. And so we can have to get to this place where we, we, we are, are no longer just being exclusive, but being inclusive. Now, church in the city can be an inclusive church. So, yeah, we want everyone to come to the table. I mean, we could see that in the people groups. But what about lifestyle? Right? What about whatever else? Whatever, what about religion? What does that look like? Because ultimately, uh, the way we look at things theologically is, okay, here's a Muslim and here's a drug addict. Who has more hope? Most of us will say, oh, well, geez, we can do stuff for the drug addict. You know, we'll just take him to rehab. You know, we'll just love on him. We'll walk him through his things. We'll be there. We're ready to start a ministry for that. Yeah, we got, you know, a, a recovery ministry. Yeah, we could do this. Okay, so what about the Muslim? How is, how is he included into this thing that we're doing, right? I mean, the, the, this, is, this is something that we have to wrestle with as, as a church. It's something that we have to wrestle with in, in, in Los Angeles. Is how are we looking at this thing? Are we saying, hey, there's hope for these guys and not these guys? And how does, what does that shape in, or how does that affect who we are and what we're doing? And I might be all over the place right now, but I hope you're following along. So the, the, the church was never meant to be an exclusive club. And we see that in how Jesus is dealing with the religious in all the parables that I gave you, Jesus is addressing the religious heart. He's addressing the established religion who believes, hey, we're good. We're doing the right things. You know, we, we, you know, we give alms. We, we feed the poor. We give our tithes. We fast. We do the things that we're supposed to be doing. But we're not like, you know, the tax collector. Thank God. We're not like the tax collector. And we may not say it with our words. And we may not be worshiping Jesus feeling that. But I'm telling you, what is our life saying? Because what our life saying is actually goes back to this thing of a life impacted by Jesus actually is changed forever. And because I've been changed by Jesus, I want to see the world around me changed in the same way. Right? If you think about things you're excited about. Right? I mean, people who, who are Apple crazy, like love Apple, like, uh, you know, Apple phones and Macs. I mean, you, you guys become the biggest. Um, I mean, Apple doesn't have to ever 
you know, uh, what do you call it, advertised. Because people who have Apple just say, oh, dude, you got to get that new MacBook, dude. It is awesome. Oh, the iPhone 7. Oh, it's, I mean, you should see it. I mean, it, right? People are just the biggest promoter of the things they're passionate about, right? Jesus should be the thing that we are most passionate about in our life at all times. I mean, I could sit down with a group of guys, and I'll tell you in seconds what they're passionate about because those are the things they start talking about. It's work. It's sports. It's, oh, we don't want to talk about sports. Um, between you and I, we don't want to talk about sports. Um, Debs graciously uh, gave me a uh, Blackhawks placard in our gift bag. So because I'm, I, 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 I'm very sentimental, I don't throw away things people give me, I'm going to find a very strategic place to put that uh, Blackhawks placard. I was thinking, like, I, I, I might use it to mount one of our Stanley Cup championship banners on, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's L.A. Kings, just, just so you know. Um, there is people in L.A. who like hockey. Steve. Steve's one of them. I, so I think we should make another bet. I was going to propose this on Sunday, but you guys can make a vote. Um, so if you guys get get to the the championship, National League championship against the Dodgers, we should we should have a vote or, or another bet. So then, like World uh, U.S. Equip, you have to wear another Dodger jersey. That'll be great. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I- exclusive versus inclusive. Exclusive says um, you will never measure up. Right? Inclusive says, Jesus measures up on your behalf. Exclusive says, uh, you can join us when you do this. Right? Inclusive says, welcome home. Today you are a full-fledged member. Even better, you are now part of the family. Exclusive says, model your life after us. Inclusive um, says, join us as we all model our life after Jesus. Exclusive says, change your life first, then you can. Inclusive says, yes to Jesus and allow him to transform you. And, and I think that these are some of the questions that I've, I've had to, to massage into me and, and deliver to uh, the body of believers that gathers in East L.A. to say, this is the church that we want to be. This is who we see Jesus as when he walked the earth, I mean, he, he sat with disreputable sinners. He spent time with them. He, he loved on them. He, he gave them his affection. He gave them his time. He fed them. He, he did those things because it's who he was. And there was never a program established by Jesus. It was his life that did this. And we see that in the church. When the church was unleashed on the world, they, they, they were, there wasn't programs established for the sake of a need. There were programs established for the sake uh, 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 of what was organically taking place among them, right? As they were in need, the Bible said they did these things. They didn't set up a, a, a food bank, and they didn't, you know, and I'm not against those things. We participate in those because we don't want to see hungry people on the earth. But is it for the sake of the gospel or is it for the sake of making me feel good? I, I served, you know, turkey at the shelter. I mean, really, what, what's, what, what is the motivation of, of why we're uh, participating in these things? And this thing of inclusive versus exclusive, I think, really needs to invade our, our personal mentalities of how we're approaching things. Because we want this corporate thing to be that way. But am I that way? Am I that way? And if I'm that way, who am I inviting to the table? We've asked our church to become an each one, bring one, infused body of believers. That everything we do, you need to be bringing someone. And I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they've done. I mean, there, there are so many challenges, not only to, I mean, for, for people to get over in themselves to come through those doors, right? I mean, but if that's our message, hey, come to the well. Come to the well. Like, you, I don't know, many of you probably knew what it felt like to have to come through those doors. It's like that long walk, you know, you just feel like. When you, when you invite people to church, the thing that they say is what? Is I'm not ready. Or, you know, in our community, it's like, jeez, dude, like lightning's going to strike me as soon as I walk in that building. I mean, people feel that way because of the orig- religious oppression that has been 
placed on them, especially in, in our region, uh, primarily Hispanic. I mean, the Catholicism, um, the, the, the way they view it is just like, geez, they're, they're going to get zapped by God as soon as they walk on the building. Not just because of it's God and their sin, sin nature, but because they're going against their Catholic culture. And, and their Hispanic culture, because they're rejecting their grandmother and their mother and everyone else who has been Catholic their whole life. These are the things they're battling. And so we're saying, come, come, come. And Jesus is saying, take, take, take. And so we've asked our people to adopt this mentality of saying, you have a part to play. This isn't just, hey, we're going to set up a program. You guys all join in and it's going to be awesome. It has to be a part of our DNA as a body of believers. Um, so what type of invitation is your life sending out, right? Are you, are you inviting people into a relationship with Jesus? Are you? Are you inviting people into a relationship with Jesus? And really what, what, what the gospel is, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you able to communicate the gospel in a simple way? I started off by just talking, I will rejoice in the simple gospel. I mean, we were indoctrinated as kids. Most of us, if you grew up in church as a kid, is Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I mean, the simple gospel of Jesus loves you right where you're at, who you are, don't care what you've done. He accepts you. And if you can accept the fact that he accepts you and respond to that through accepting him and knowing that he died on a cross for you, and it's paid for your sins, then you could start this journey today. You could start this journey today. Who can't communicate that? You can communicate that. Our kids communicate that. Our, two, our two-year-old, she was preaching the, uh, she, well, she's three now, uh, but she was two when she started preaching the gospel. And she was, um, she, uh, she was up on the table, and, this, and she was trying to convert her little, her big brother, and saying, Judah, Jesus died on the cross, and now he's in heaven. I mean, she's just like going for it, right? And, and I mean, and it, our, our, our toddler's ministry is doing something great with them, right? And we have to be able to communicate that. How are we presenting Jesus to the world, right? Uh, and then ultimately, uh, people will be invited into a relationship with his church because that is part of this thing. The church is a huge part of our relationship with God because it is a place where saints get equipped for the work of service. And there's no way to be equipped outside of the church. We just don't see it. I mean, I, I hear all these people, uh, uh, you know, who oh, I don't need the church. Well, you're actually going against the plan of God then. You know, I can sit back. You guys know this. You guys have friends who, you know, Joel Osteen is their pastor. I mean, they don't go to that church. They see it on TV, but that's their pastor. And, you know, okay, yeah, try to schedule a meal with your pastor. That would be great. Um, I, I, don't have any, well, I don't have any personal issues with um, Joel. I'm sure he's a great guy. But the people who respond to that is, this is my church. We're brought into a fellowship of a family of believers that Jesus established, that has elders in place to shepherd that has deacons in place to help shepherd and love and care for, and has brothers and sisters who stand alongside of them and link arms with them through times of need, through times of struggle, and for encouragement. Um, that's part of this process. I know I'm preaching to, to the choir, but I just want us to understand that there is a progression to this thing. And, and I, I know culture. I know it's easy to say, look, dude, yes, you can love Jesus and not go to the church. But we're lying. Because that's not, that's not part of the plan. That's not what Jesus did. He's coming back to pick up his church. And if we f- see a, 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 a part of the body not connected to the body, when this church gets pulled back into heaven and someone's not connected, I, I just don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like. Jesus and his church should not be the best kept secret of our lives. It just can't be that way. Um. We may not be arrogant in our religion like the Pharisees seem to have been in the first century, but I do believe we can become elitist um, in our relationship with Jesus. We can become introspective. We can, this thing can be private, and ultimately it will lead to exclusive, exclusive that word. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it really can. And, and just think about it. It's just, oh, I just want me and Jesus. 
I just want me and Jesus. And I know what that feels like because we need that. But ultimately, when it is just you and Jesus, there's an outpouring of your life because you cannot contain this bubbling well that's inside you. Like we see the woman at the well when Jesus said, I will give you water that will be a life spring that wells up inside of you. And ultimately, we've seen what she did. She turned a whole village around for Jesus. A Samaritan woman that he had no business speaking to. That was Jesus exemplifying what our life should look like in today's world. I think it's time for a break. Is that cool? Okay.